you're here today. What an awesome day to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Praise team did great. Uh, Kenyon sang great. Now we get to turn to the best book that's ever been written, the Word of God. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18 today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 here in just a moment of Genesis chapter 18. Now, uh, this fall on Wednesday nights, y'all did know we had church on Wednesday night, didn't you? That's not a pun, that's just an advertisement, all right? We do have church on Wednesday night, uh, services for all ages. I get to have the adults uh, in here, and it's, it's always a wonderful service. We, we end Wednesday night services with an altar of prayer. I believe one of the reasons God is blessing our church the way He is blessing our church is because of what happens on Wednesday nights when the family of faith gathers at the altar and we pray for the ministries of this church and we pray for services just like this one that we're having today. Anyway, over the last couple of months, I've been preaching a, a very interesting series of sermons that I entitled, Glimpses of Jesus in Genesis. And what we have done for, for six sermons on Wednesday nights is look at different prototypes and types and pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ as he appears in the book of Genesis. I think what Jesus wasn't born until the New Testament. We don't read about him until Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh no, he's in the whole Bible, man. Whether it be the writings of Moses or the writings of Matthew, Jesus is there. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, Jesus is there because this book is about Jesus Christ and God's wonderful plan of salvation. This morning I want to show you something really interesting in the Bible. From time to time in the Old Testament, the Lord Himself shows up and makes a personal, physical appearance. Not necessarily in a vision or a dream, but He makes an appearance in the flesh. And we're going to read about that today in Genesis chapter 18. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord, there it is right there, cat's out of the bag, the Lord, that was Jesus, the Lord Himself appeared to Abraham by the oak trees of Mamre. And he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your will in this service and speak your word into our hearts. Help us to understand that it's all about Jesus and his wonderful plan of salvation. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never received the greatest gift that has ever been offered, may they receive that gift of salvation today. We love you, Lord. We commit this time to you, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout the Old Testament, and right here in Genesis chapter 18, God makes a personal appearance on planet earth he comes to deliver a message in fact that, that happens all through the old testament for example one day joshua in joshua chapter 5 looked up 
and right before him was a mighty warrior. He was dressed in a warrior's attire and he had pulled his sword from the sheath and was standing there in front of Joshua. I think it scared Joshua to death, right? He said, who are you? And the angel of the Lord said, I am the captain of the host of the Lord. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And with that, Joshua fell on his face before the Lord and worshipped him. And the Lord said to him, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. One day in the book of Judges, a man by the name of Manoah and his wife were going about minding their own business when suddenly looking up they saw someone who was called the angel of the Lord. This was a brilliant and unusual angel and the angel predicted that this couple would have a son and they would name his son, their son Samson. When Manoah asked this angel, what is your name? The angel replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Now that must be some kind of name if it's beyond understanding. Then the angel ascended to heaven in a flame and Manoah cried out, we're doomed. <laughs> We've seen God. Now this same mysterious and powerful individual whose name is beyond understanding, whose name is the commander of the army of the Lord, whose name is the angel of the Lord. This same one came to Abraham one day accompanied by two of heaven's angels. Abraham seemed somewhat perplexed for these three men just appeared from nowhere. And I think it took Abraham a little while to figure out what was going on. It, at first he just viewed them as mysterious nomadic strangers who crept up on him. He didn't seem to realize that he was looking at almighty God himself and two of his angels. But the Bible says the Lord appeared to Abraham. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. Church, I'm here to tell you this is a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Christ appeared. Jesus was there. Notice how plainly the Bible put it. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Abraham saw three men. It is only as this passage unfolds that we learn that two of these men were angels and the other one is the Lord himself. Now the Bible teaches us that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. There is God the Father, there is God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is invisible, always has been, always will be. The Bible teaches that no one has seen God the Father at any time. And nowhere in the Bible did anyone ever see the Holy Spirit. We saw manifestations of the Holy Spirit in symbolic form when he took the form of a dove or the flame of a fire. But being spirit, he too is invisible. However, there are several times in the New Testament that it tells us which member of the Holy Trinity reveals or manifests God to man. For example, John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed God to us. That is, Jesus has declared the Father to us. 
John 6, 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And then Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Church, I want you to know that for 2,000 years, Christian theologians have understood that when God appeared in human form in the Old Testament, it was the manifestation of God through His Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Dr. Raymond Scott in his book on this subject wrote, It is a well-known fact that the Old Testament predicts the coming of the Messiah. But what is not common knowledge amongst Christians is that Jesus Christ actually appeared on this earth on numerous occasions prior to His incarnation. Now, let me be a little speculative and very simplistic here. Let me explain it like this. I believe if there had been a portrait artist, someone who, who draws portraits of individuals there by the oak trees in Mamre that day who had drawn the face of this mysterious traveler who darkened Abraham's tent and then 2,000 years later if another portrait painter had drawn the face of Jesus of Nazareth breaking bread at the Sea of Galilee I believe that those two portraits would have been identical. Because it's Jesus. There was an important difference, of course. In the Old Testament, the Son of God simply appeared in the form of a man. He would just show up in the form of a man. But in the New Testament, He actually became a man. Woo! Come on, church. Jesus became a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary. Nevertheless, I believe that it was God's son, Jesus, who talked with Abraham that day 4,000 years ago in those oak trees at Mamre. If you want a glimpse of Jesus in Genesis, you can look at all the prophecies that were written about him. You can look at the prototypes of him found in that book, but you can also see him in concrete, personal form as he makes this special pre-incarnate pre-Bethlehem appearance to convey some special truths at a very special time. So that being true, what was so important in Genesis chapter 18 that required a special appearance of God Himself on planet earth? I mean, why did He come on this particular occasion? Well, that's point number two, His mission. Are you with me? All right, here we go. Stay with me, right? His mission. He really preached a twofold message that day. First of all, there was an announcement that he made. And then secondly, there was a pronouncement that he gave. First, the Lord had this tremendous announcement to make. Abraham and Sarah, though they were very old and past childbearing, would be given a son. He would be a miraculous son who would serve as the next link in the lineage of the coming Messiah through whom all the world was going to be blessed. Okay. This is a great announcement. Put a smile on your face right now. Come on, smile. This is good news. This old couple's going to have a baby. 
And this baby is going to serve in the link that would bring about God's child, the Messiah, who would bless all the nations of the world. In fact, let me read it to you here in chapter 18, starting in verse number 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the childbearing age. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being old also, that's her man. She called him her Lord. Boy, I wish we'd go back to those old days. No, anyway. My man, he's old also. (laughs) Verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Verse 14, I love it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Boy, I wish I had time just to preach on that verse. Let me ask you, church, is anything too hard for God? Why don't we live that way then, huh? Why don't we act that way? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then skip down to verse 18. Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So in other words, Abraham and Sarah would have a child. He would be this son of promise who would comprise the next link in the line of the Messiah, the promised seed through whom all the world would be blessed. You see, from the very beginning of time, God was in this process of redemption. That's what the whole Bible is about. It's about the good news that God has given to mankind. See, God loves you. Let me just give you the gospel in a nutshell, the whole Bible in a nutshell. God loves you. He made you special, just like he made little baby Carly special. She's one of a kind, you're one of a kind. God loves you, he cares for you, he's got a great plan for your life. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. But we've got a problem, and it's called sin. Sin separates us from God. But God, being the good God He is, He he figured out a way we can still have a relationship with Him. And it is through His plan of redemption. He would send a Redeemer, His Son, Jesus Christ, who would redeem us from our sins. Even before Genesis chapter 18 came along, God had originated His plan. He had started His plan in motion. What we see here in Genesis chapter 18, the first book of the Bible, is just the link... And that chain that would bring God's plan to completion. His plan of redemption. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. And here is his announcement. God's plan of redemption is on its way. Abraham and Sarah, you're old. You're dried up. You're done for. But you know what? God's still going to use you. Because you can never retire from God's service, can you? I'm going to bless you, give you a son. He's going to be a miracle child. In fact, we learned on Wednesday night, there's great comparisons between their son, Isaac, and Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just, it's it's a wonderful comparison and a prototype of Jesus himself. 
you're going to have a baby and he is going to bless the whole world because through his seed, God's plan of redemption is going to come to pass. Uh, let me tell you the story of one of America's best known radio evangelists, a man by the name of E. Howard Cadle. Cadle grew up in a home in which his mother was a Christian, but his father was far from it. In fact, his father was an alcoholic, and by age 12, Cadle was emulating his father, drinking and totally out of control. Before long, he was in the grip of sex and gambling and the Midwest Crime Syndicate. Always remember, son, his mother would often say to him, that at 8 o'clock every night, I will be kneeling beside your bed asking God, to protect my precious child. But her prayers didn't seem to slow him down <laughs> until one evening in a rampage, he pulled out a gun, pointed it at a man, and squeezed the trigger. Luckily, the gun misfired, and somebody knocked it out of his hand. Cagle looked up to the clock and noticed that it was exactly 8 o'clock <laughs> when that happened. Soon his health broke, and the doctor told him he only had six months to live so dragging himself home penniless and pitiful he fell into the arms of his mother and said mother I've broken your heart I sure would like to be saved but I've sinned too much God couldn't save me she said oh yes he can she pulled out her Bible and opened it to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 though your sins be as scarlet they shall become as white as snow that windswept morning, March the 14th, 1914, E. Howard Cadle started life anew. With Christ now in his heart, he turned his con skills into honest pursuits and started making money hand over fist. The Lord blessed him, and he blessed the work of the Lord. 75% of everything he made, he gave back to the Lord. He helped finance Gypsy Smith's crusades in which thousands of people were converted and then he soon began preaching himself on Cincinnati's powerful radio station, WLW. He became one of America's most popular radio evangelists. And he would say this all the time. Until he calls me, I shall preach the same gospel that calls my sainted mother to pray for me. And when I have gone to my last city, and when I have preached my last sermon... I want to sit at his feet and say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me that dark and stormy day from a drunkard's and a gambler's hell. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's what God wants to do for everyone. That's what God wants to do for you today, to give you a future and a hope, to extend forgiveness to you. And to provide such redemption, a redeemer was prepared. And so here, in Genesis chapter 18, God was putting together the lineage of the Messiah who would become a blessing to the nations of the world. But the pre-incarnate Lord also had another purpose in visiting Abraham that hot and cloudless day at the trees of Mamre. For he also gave a pronouncement. It was a pronouncement of judgment on all those who would reject him and his message. Just look at it here in, in chapter 18 beginning in verse number 16. Then the men rose from there and they looked towards Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And so the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men, the two angels who were with them, turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And let me just do a little time out in the parentheses here. What transpired in the next few verses is really amazing to me. Because Abraham, he turned to an interceder. You know, can I tell you something, church? We, we need people who will intercede for others who are lost. Let me just say this right now. There, there are people in your own life, in your own family. Maybe you saw them during Thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe you're going to be with them during Christmas. There, there are people in your own family who are without Christ, they are without life, and they are without hope. And if those people in your very family who have never had their name written in the Lamb's book of life, they've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if they die without inviting Jesus into their life, they are going to face God's judgment, and they will spend eternity in hell. Do you know what those family members and those friends of yours who are without Christ need more than anything else? They need an Abraham to intercede for them. They need somebody who cares enough about them that they will come to the Lord and pray for them and ask God to convict them and send others to speak the good news to them and that they themselves will become a voice for God to declare the truth. That's what Abraham is doing here in the next few verses. He intercedes for his nephew Lot because he knows where Lot is. Lot is down in that sinful city of Sodom. And so he begins bargaining with the Lord. He, he starts praying to the Lord and says, Lord, what if you go down there and you find 50 righteous people? Would you spare the city if you just find 50 righteous people? And the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, says, yes, Abraham, if I can find 50 righteous people, I will spare the city. And, and I, I think Abraham got to scratching his head and realizing there's not 50 righteous people in Sodom. He knew that. He said, well, what about 45 and then he kept going down to 40, to 35, to 30. And finally he said, said, Lord, what if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom? Would you spare the city if you find just 10 righteous people? And the Lord said, yes, for 10 righteous people I will spare the city. Let me read the outcome to you in Genesis chapter 19, verse 24 says, Then the Lord rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. It came from the Lord out of the heavens, so he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. Wow! He couldn't find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he destroyed those cities from the face of the earth. Apparently these cities had become so corrupt and so filled with immorality and perversion that they passed the point of redemption. 
Now I'm about to start sounding like an old-time gospel preacher, but you need to hear some old-time gospel preaching. You might wonder, preacher, are you being straight with me? Can a city or a nation or a group of people pass the point of redemption? Can they become so evil that they are past the point of redemption? And I would say to you, yes, they can. It happened right here in Scripture. It's happened since then numerous times. And now you're thinking in your head, okay, preacher, does that mean a person can pass the point of redemption and face God's judgment in their life? And I'm saying to you, yes, they can. Yes, they can. They were so full of so much evil that it was impossible in Sodom and Gomorrah for any child within their walls to grow up healthy and holy. They were like cancerous masses of evil poised to spread their disease over the entire world. And so God eliminated them and destroyed them. Now what's interesting is this, if you study the subject of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah throughout the word of God, it is remarkable how many times the Bible writers refer to God's judgment on this group of people. It's found all the way through the Bible. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 29 warns the children of Israel that unbridled sin in their nation will make them just like, guess who, Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 3.9 warns those who parade sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Okay, He's warning those who parade their sin just like Sodom and do not hide it. My lands, think of our entertainment industry and what we watch in our living rooms every night. Those who parade their sin like Sodom and do not hide it. What is the judgment on them? Isaiah 3.9 says, woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Jeremiah 23.14 says, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. And then Jesus said in Matthew 10 and 11, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you. Peter said, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to all the ungodly. And then Jude wrote, Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. In other words, the fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is a miniature preview of the judgment coming to this world. Did you hear that, church? Sodom and Gomorrah is a miniature picture of what is coming to this world. God's judgment. No wonder, no wonder the pre-incarnate Son of God appeared to Abraham that day by those trees. He was coming to announce another link in the lineage of the coming Redeemer, 
but he was also coming to pronounce judgment on those who reject redemption. And the Bible warns, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Woo! Man, you didn't know you was going to get this today, did you? Let, let me end with a good story. While studying law in Adams, New York, a young man by the name of Charles Stinney purchased a Bible. He just bought it to, to read it for history's sake and to weigh it in its balance and to compare it with other books. But it started speaking to his heart. One fall morning in 1821, walking to his office, he diverted off the trail to a forest and there he walked amongst the woods and the fallen trees and he stopped and under conviction he began praying to God. It was difficult at first because he had never prayed before but he cried out to God for forgiveness and he stayed there until the peace of Christ filled his heart. An amazing thing happened to Charles Finney in the days following almost everyone Finney met was stricken with conviction of sin and converted. Just coming into his presence, this man who really got it from God, just coming into his presence caused conviction to fall on people's lives, and they were saved right there without him saying a word. A revival swept through Adams, New York, and soon Finney found himself abandoning the study of law and preparing for the ministry. One of his more unusual sermons was preached sometime later in a small village near Evans Mills, New York. During the service, Finney, who usually didn't prepare his sermons in advance, said a prayer to the Lord, Lord, what passage should I preach from tonight? And then he suddenly remembered the story of Sodom, the city, and of Lot, the man. Genesis 19, 14 rushed to his mind, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And in his sermon, Finney painted the condition of Sodom before God destroyed it. Later, he said this, I had not spoken in this strain more than a quarter of an hour when an awful somberness seemed to settle upon them. The congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction. And they cried out for mercy. If I had had a sword... In each hand, I could have not cut them down as fast as they fell from their chairs. Everyone prayed who was able to speak at all. Wow. I would say that was the power of God in that place. Only afterward, Finney learned that the village where he preached was known as Sodom. And the man who had invited him to preach that day was named Lot. Well, church, I'm here to tell you, we are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our culture is in moral collapse. We are engulfed in sexual immorality and perversion. It's everywhere we turn, and it's only getting worse. But I've got good news for you. God is here. A Savior has appeared. Jesus has showed up.
He's come. And he has brought an announcement with him. It is an announcement of redemption. Those of you who look to me, Jesus says, you shall be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. But he also brings a pronouncement of judgment. Judgment is coming. It's coming to this world and the people of this world. But you know what? Because God is so good and rich in mercy, He has given every one of us a choice. Every one of you in this building today who have listened to this message, you have a choice to accept Him or reject Him. To live for Him or live for self. You've heard the announcement, He's got a plan of redemption. You can be saved. You've also heard the pronouncement of judgment. If you don't accept Him, you will face the wrath of God. And you know what? You have a choice. Today I'm, I'm going to ask you to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm asking you to make that decision today to flee the wrath that is coming. You know, we don't, we don't preach like this often anymore. We, people come to church, they want to hear good, happy stuff. And you know what? Sometimes I want to give you good, happy stuff. But sometimes you need to hear the truth, the whole truth of God. And the truth is, there is a day of wrath. There is a day of judgment. And it's coming. And you need to be ready, friend. I'm blessed to have my family with me today. It's been interesting around the Harmon household the last few days. Everybody's come back home. I love them. Love you guys. More than anything else, I want to see you in heaven. Each one of you. And when you start having little babies, <laughs> you try to teach them what your mama and I taught you, that Jesus is the one that born you. <laughs> I'd die for any one of these guys. I want them to be in heaven. You know what? I want you to be in heaven too. I don't have many enemies. There's, there's a lot of people who don't like me. But I really don't have any enemies. There are a lot of people in our world today who are just mean. and, and I mean, I, you know, boy, sometimes I need to preach against ISIS because that, that is... That is that is the work of the devil who's trying to destroy good people and who's trying to destroy this world. You know what? God loves them. He doesn't want them to go to hell. God loves you. So this morning, make that decision to follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said, I have come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. And so today I extend to you that gift that only God can give. Eternal life. If you've never received it, would you come today? Be saved. Be born again. You know what? If you're here today and you call yourself a Christian but you're not living the life. You're not the real deal. You're just kind of straddling the fence. Living a little bit for the world. Coming to church on Sundays. Let me encourage you. You don't need to be living that way. Because Jesus said this about a group of Christians who were trying to live that way. He said, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Guys, let me tell you, what that means is this. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Would you give him your all?
Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning as only you can. I know that you're doing that in our service today. I, I know your word is real. Your Holy Spirit is present. Lord, for those who need to come this morning and repent and get right with you, may they do that. Lord, for the rest of us who are here, if we have a need in our heart, may we come and lay that before you at the altar. And dear Lord, may there be some Abrahams here today who come and intercede for family members and friends who are lost, just like Abraham did for Lot. May we have some people who really care this morning, who come and pray for family members and loved ones and and friends in the world who need you. Do something special right now as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Praise team is going to sing. The altars are open. I invite you to come. Pray. Find Jesus.